This morning we finish our series on what it means for the church to embody the goodness of God. We've talked over the past uh, couple months about how to cultivate goodness in our own life, how to nurture compassion and put others first, how to seek truth and justice in a broken world, and how we are to order our lives in ways that seek to bless rather than fight the culture in which we live. Today we're looking at how, uh, at how knowing Jesus changes not just our perspective on life, but transforms us from the inside out. As followers of Jesus, of the Savior, we have seen something, we have met someone that changes everything else. Just like we see in Ezekiel about how uh, we, uh, the bones are transformed from death into life. And as the same kind of process we experience uh, here and now as believers. Our scripture this morning comes from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And if you can think about the story that Regina just read in Ezekiel, this is sort of a, that story, but in miniature, someone who is close to death being given new life. In Luke 17, 11 through 19, we read, On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were, healed, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God. The stars always seem brighter away from the lights of the city. Recently, our older two had a science project that required them to stay up late, which is always a perk for two eight-year-olds. Uh, they had to stay up way past bedtime uh, for it to be dark enough. And they were supposed to go out in their backyard and try to find as many constellations as possible. So there was, they kind of had a little map and said over there should be that. And it was really fun, actually. But almost by accident, standing in the, in the cool grass as the wind blew through the trees, the, the girls discovered a wondrous world had somehow always been up there, above their heads, through above the roof of where they are sleeping, this miraculous spinning infinity. This newfound insight into the beauty of God and his creation, though, sparked some questions centering on why the stars shine with more clarity, with more brilliance, just sometimes and not all the time. Why can't we see these things, this beauty, this wonder, all the time whenever we go outside at night? Whenever the wonder of God Whenever the wonder that God infused into our world breaks through our blindness, we often ask the same question. Why can't we see those signs of his presence all the time? The answer 
reflects a profound spiritual reality. Often our view of the stars are blocked by things in our modern world that we consider essential. If you live in the city, it's actually very hard to see the stars at night. Tall buildings, if you live in a neighborhood, houses can stand in the way or suburban lights kind of cloud the sky, preventing us from seeing what almost all of our ancestors took for granted, the galaxy above them. Other times, the weather doesn't oblige us. It's cloudy or raining. We can't see anything at all. But in reality, it's not the environment that prevents us from seeing the stars. We are so busy with things going on around us, we forget to look up. The stars are always there. The stars are always there. They never go away. But we are too focused on other things to notice them. The nine lepers who uh, walked away from Jesus and Luke, and most of the time, with most of us, we operate in a similar manner. As an incurable skin disease, a leprosy took away both your health and your connection with others. On some level, Hebrew law understood this kind of risk, and they required lepers to live apart from the community. So when Jesus spots these ten outside the gates of town, they're outside of town because they were legally prevented from coming any closer. They couldn't actually enter the town itself. They lived on the outside, sort of in the wilderness. And so they cry out to this man that is known as a miracle worker, and he heals them and gives them some very specific instructions. Show themselves to the local uh, Jewish priest Because that was the person who could officially proclaim them fit to re-enter society. In that moment, the desire to meet the religious and the cultural requirements that offered them their lives back dominated their minds. They wanted, they had been given a whole new lease on life. And this desire isn't wrong. Their entire future had been rewritten in a moment, a locked door unexpectedly opened, and they were encouraged by the one who healed them to go through it. Had we been in their shoes, we would have been just as anxious to go to the priest so we could re-enter society, so that we could go see our family and friends and show them what had happened. But their reaction also reveals the human tendency to accept the blessings of God while ignoring God himself. If we're honest, we tend to do the same in our lives as well. Our God scatters blessings throughout this broken and chaotic chaotic world, but we are often too distracted to see them for what they are, much less wonder who sent them. Typically, we are distracted in two major ways. First, we are distracted by ourselves and by our own needs. In her novel, Middlemarch, George Eliot wrote, will not a tiny speck very close to our vision blot out the glory of the world? I know no speck so troublesome as self. We tend to focus on what's important to us and ignore the rest. 
Even the things we love can distract from the blessings that surround us. I do not know who schedules Braves games in the middle of the week in the afternoon. Okay, but that does not help me get things done. It just doesn't. I check the scores. I, if it's on you know, TV, I have, we have Hulu Live, so I can watch it literally anywhere. That's not helpful for me. We want to see what happens on our favorite show, and then suddenly Netflix shames us, and it does shame us, by asking if we're still watching. Yes, I've just watched 18 episodes. <laughs> I do not want to stop. Stop making me feel bad. We can't see past ourselves, our obligations, our interests. So we, when we receive blessings, we fail to recognize them for what they are. They are arrows that point to our God who is standing close by waiting for us to realize that he's there. Second, we're distracted by the world around us. With endless sources of news and entertainment, our restless eyes move from one thing to another, never stopping to acknowledge the good things that God has poured into our lives. Our phones keep us connected, but they constantly redirect our attention. And especially the past few years where it seems like every bit of news is worse than the last. Every notification that beeps and buzzes into our brains distracts us from the reality of God's goodness, the peace that he wants us to step into, and his call to follow him and conform our lives to his. On his podcast, Craig Maud says, our phones are like a chemical-driven casino that preys on our desires for vanity, ego, and our obsession with chasing train wrecks. Again, I've asked this question before, but be honest, who has ever wanted to throw their phone out the window when you're driving? And how often do we still look? We still go, oh, somebody's texting me, or there's some notification, or something's happened in England. Perhaps our God still appears in the trenches of life, offering us peace and grace, but our distractions drown out the still small voice of the maker who is still speaking to his creation, who is still speaking to his people. But if we're honest, the problem goes deeper than just distraction. Sin fatally impairs our awareness of God's presence, so that even if he were standing before us, we would somehow still miss him. Even when we personally experience God's gifts, we fail to recognize that they come from him. Uh, Pastor Tim McKellar writes that we are all naturally as blind to spiritual realities as a physically blind person is to his or her surrounding environment. We look at nature and cannot discern an author. We look at history and fail to see God's hand. So we take credit for things that are his gifts. Even believers find there is a dullness to their vision that they don't see things clearly. Our distracted vision hinders us from recognizing God's gifts, ensuring that we miss his presence. Nine of the lepers were so focused on getting back to their lives, they failed to realize there was more to the moment than just physical healing. Now, don't get me wrong. This physical healing was a miracle. It changed their lives completely but there was something more that was promised. 
The tenth leper, however, was different. Like the others, he was grateful for the healing, but unlike the others, he recognized that Jesus was offering something bigger. A similar reaction happens in astronauts who look back at the planet Earth from a distance. This has been observed in the space station. When they first get into space, astronauts look at the Earth and they are overwhelmed. They describe this blue marble suspended in the dark vastness of the universe, and they are overwhelmed with a sense of transcendent wonder and awe. In fact, most of them are so affected, they tend to forget what they're supposed to be doing on spacewalks and have to be reminded, hey, you only have so much air. We really need you to go do this sciencey thing for us, uh, please. But it happens so often with astronauts that NASA decided to build into their schedule a specific awe time. Okay, so A-W-E. Uh, so uh, where astronauts could take a few moments to gaze at the infinite beauty of the universe, but then get back to work. I said, all right, you have like two minutes just to kind of look at the universe. This is officially known as the overview effect. And this feeling increases their understanding about Earth's place in the universe. And it often also increases their uh, humility and compassion and spurs them into the pursuit of the holy. Uh, not every astronaut becomes a faithful Christian, but many do turn to uh, religion, uh, religion of their families, and try to learn more about it. Charlie Duke, a lunar uh, module pilot for Apollo 16, actually became a Christian after seeing Earth from space. He said everything just kind of clicked for him in that moment. Jim Irwin of Apollo 15 became a preacher when he got back to Earth. The tenth leper returns because he experienced something similar. He recognizes his own helpless condition before the enormity of God's grace and love, and he could not help but turn around and go back to Jesus and praise him. Jesus, for this tenth leper, was not just the man who healed them, but the Lord of all creation. The nine who went to see the priest had glimpsed just one piece of a much more complex and beautiful puzzle, but this tenth leper wanted to see the whole thing. And what he finds there at the feet of Jesus is love and grace. See, our God always moves toward his children with purpose. He is just outside the realm of our senses. But there God's compassion operates always at full tilt, reaching out to redeem and transform his children. Contrary to our limited perspective, the Lord does not want to hide himself from us. Paul writes in Acts 17, God did this, created the world and ordered the course of history so that they, humanity, would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. That's a comforting thought that our God is not far from any one of us. Our God wants to be known, and he wants a relationship with each of us. For the nine who left, Jesus 
was a miracle worker. He was someone remarkable, but remarkable, but he was nothing more than that. He was like a superhero who landed nearby, saved them, and then flew off again. They accepted the gift, but they they accepted the gift. But the tent recognized the depth of mercy received in Jesus, and then he loved the one who gave it. He echoed the voice of David in Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. We see the difference between God's blessings and the relationship with God himself in these verses and how Luke describes the healing of the ten and also how he describes the state of the one who returns. In Luke 17, 15, the verb used to describe their healing reflects mainly a physical restoration. Now, this miracle actually stands out in Scripture anyway because no one in Israel had ever been healed from leprosy except Miriam, the sister of Moses, and Naaman, a foreign general. Leviticus gave instructions in case a leper was healed, but it never actually happened Uh, But it never happened because only the Messiah could free the body from such a terrible disease. But the miracle itself was evident something more important was happening with these lepers. The verb Jesus uses in Luke 17, 19 reveals that all 10 lepers could have experienced not just physical, but complete spiritual restoration. It wasn't just that their bodies might be healed when they encounter Jesus. It was that their whole souls might be restored. The response of the leper then provides us with a model of how we should respond to the blessings of God and the grace we know in Jesus. He does this in three main ways. First, we must recognize and accept every blessing in our life as a gift from God. Every good thing we have ever known must be understood as a good gift from our Father. Every moment of this life that we draw breath is a gift from our God who loves us. G.K. Chesterton wrote this. He says, you say grace before meals. All right, but I say grace before the concert and the opera and the play. Grace before I open a book. Grace before sketching and painting and swimming and boxing and walking and dancing in grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Every moment of our life is a blessing. Every breath deserves a thank you. The world is full of gifts that when opened leads us back to our Savior, which actually leads us to our next point. Second, we must recognize the giver and praise him. The leper's first response when he realizes that he'd been healed was to return and worship Jesus at his feet. In Psalm 34, David calls the people of Israel to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. When I was a child, I was encouraged to write thank you notes after every Christmas and birthday. I think I mentioned that before. In my family, this courtesy acknowledged that we appreciated not just the gift, but the person who sent it. 
At first, I kind of hated it. It was just a chore. But over time, I realized I was acknowledging a deeper reality because every gift was actually evidence of the love that my family had for me. Didn't really matter what the gift was, even. Didn't matter if it was something wonderful, something small. It was evidence that my family loved me. Every blessing and good moment in this life are clues that lead us back to the grace of our good father. If we fail to recognize God's involvement in the good things of our life, we miss the bigger picture that our God loves us. Third, and this is a little bit counterintuitive. We must recognize that even when blessings are absent, God still loves us. Suffering cannot negate the goodness of our God or his intentions toward us. Jesus says in Matthew 5 that God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The presence or absence of blessings in our life are not indicative of God's love for us. Sometimes life is genuinely hard to bear. All of us have had seasons where it feels like God is very far from us. But when we know God's love for us cannot change, which is the point of every blessing, we are in a more secure position to deal with the valleys that we are bound to experience. God's goodness points us back to his love, which remains steady even when everything else falls away. So even if we are in a period of time where we cannot feel God's blessings, when we cannot feel his presence, we can remember how he has blessed us in the past. And we can remember that the same love that provided for us then is providing for us now. Finally, there's one last thing that happens when we experience God's blessings, one last response that we're called to. Finally, we are called to reflect the mercy God shows us to the rest of the world. The mercy Jesus shows to the leper should inspire us to feel so much sympathy for the misery of others. We are compelled to tangible action to relieve it. Uh, Preacher Alistair Begg writes, let us remember the loving kindness of the Lord and rehearse his deeds of grace. Let us remember the loving kindness of our Lord and rehearse his deeds of grace. Having experienced God's goodness, we are to practice that goodness in our life. We must be gentle and kind and patient to everyone that we encounter because Jesus has dealt this way with us. See, once we recognize the grace we have been given, our lives eventually begin to reorient around the one who gives it. Everything about our own character and outlook, our understanding of the world and our purpose in it shifts closer to the perspective of Jesus. We don't just receive the grace of God, but are transformed to share it in our own lives, to be mirrors of his love, to be dispensers of his joy, avenues of his peace. When we extend mercy to others, 
When we forgive in order to restore, when we heal rather than tear down, his grace is made known to other people who might have once been like us, unaware that our Lord stands close at hand, ready to make them and us his own forever. Church, a lot of the time in our lives, we resemble the nine. Distracted by our own lives and the world around us, we take the blessings of God for granted and we forget to look for him. But by his grace, we can be more like the one who came back. In Jesus, we see the reality of God's patient love for his children. Every blessing, every gift, every moment of this life serves as evidence of his love, clues that lead us back to our God. And so I encourage you this this fall as the leaves start to change, as the heat starts to fade away and it gets cooler, to take the whole picture of your life in. Look for the blessings in your life, the good things, the simple things. And remember that they are all signs that God loves us. He loves you. Just like the stars in the sky keep shining even when we cannot see them, our God's love, his presence, his invitation waits for us every moment of the day. The foundation of God's goodness in our life revolves around recognizing this love and responding to it. So let us show our gratefulness by living a life worthy of that love and let us start today. Hallelujah. Amen.